Hi, I'm Pat Foran. Welcome to Get Labeled Indie Music Roadmap, a podcast for working indie artists, aspiring music artists, and fans. Each week, I interview a different guest who has a proven track record in the biz or related field. I talk with producers, promoters, audio engineers, managers, songwriters, bands, social media experts, veteran and novice artists too, about their experiences and recommendations. I'll get answers to some of the hows and whys of today's music business, which you will find invaluable in navigating the chaotic world of today's music industry. Today's guest is music supervisor Kristen Summers. She's worked with TV shows, CBS's The Talk, award shows, podcasts, made-for-TV movies, music publishing, and more. Let's get going. Joined by tonight's guest, Kristen Summers. Yay! <laughs> music <laughs> music uh, supervisor with uh, multiple major credits, and we're going to talk about that. And also, she's an adjunct professor of music supervision in film and TV at Belmont University. And uh, you're going to tie that together for me, too, I think. <laughs> I have a little question <laughs> about that. <laughs> and, uh, well, hi, how are you, officially? <laughs> hi, I'm great, I'm great. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> um, thanks for coming. I'd like to know, like, how did you get started? Like, what made you go into music at all, anything to do with music, and especially music supervision? Yeah, good question. So I, uh, well, I've been a lifelong musician. I'll tell you uh, where it started, and that was six years old. And then I'll fast forward to much, <laughs> much more uh, recent times. When I was okay. six, six or seven years old, um, my dad is also a musician. He plays guitar just as a hobby, you know, played for bar mitzvahs or whatever when he was a teenager. Um, but he had in our basement this great little corner that he had designated to his records and his guitar collection, and he would go down and play. Well, when young Kristen was six or seven years old uh, and my fingers were long enough, he bought me a little Casio keyboard so I could accompany him on his uh, jam sessions to Scorpions and 38 Special or Cream and the Doors, whatever it was, 70s nice. hard rock with a synth. <laughs> B3 Hammond organ sound. So that was oh, my wow. first foray into uh, music. And that's how I learned to play piano. And then wow, from there, yeah, cool story. Kind pretty of cool. Killer um, B3. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, a synth 90s Casio version of it. But yeah, that's what we were trying to imitate. Um, so then when it came to college age, I, I thought I wanted to be a record producer. So I went to Belmont University in Nashville with the intention of, of doing just that. Uh, as it turns out, that was not for me. I could not stand being in a studio for hours on end by myself, uh, mixing, and it just it, it was not for me. Um, so with one of my first internships, I was editing music on an XM Sirius satellite radio show, and my boss at the time said, hey, Kristen, you know, you know a lot of music. Can you read this script and tell me what you think might fit? And I said, sure. So I, I read the script, and, and I don't think it was a movie. If it was made, I don't know that it had any major release. Um, but I loved it. I loved the idea of, oh, I can read this and hear what fits and, and go and pick a CD off the wall and, and listen to it and find the nuances, and it just... Hmm 
that was my light bulb moment. And from there, I moved to LA and, and that's really where the journey picked up. So, um, what, how old were you when you were working for XM? I must have been, let's see, I was in Nashville. So maybe, maybe 19 years old. Wow. Very young. That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, um, it's, I mean, I, I grew up as, um, wanting to be a musician and, you know, I, you know, I've had a lot of mus- musical struggles, but mainly because I mean, like, I like to do my own music. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like to yeah. do too many covers. I mean, I've done it. So, um, you know, you, you make choices, but that, I mean, that's incredible. Um, um, an incredible uh, journey, right? Just right there. Just getting to um, work on a, a radio station at that, at that age. Um, you, you wanted to be a producer, so you must hear things. You must hear, you're talking about hearing nuances for the uh, film production. Um, so, I mean, what do you, how do you hear like, uh, music in your head that goes? I mean, because I, I do, and, and most songwriters do. So, is that, is that what you hear sometimes? Uh, or maybe pick up on something that you've heard recently? Yeah, nonstop. I nonstop <laughs> have a jingle or even a phrase or uh, something, some sound constantly playing in my head. It is obnoxious. Um, <laughs> but as far as um, songwriting and, and music production and, and more practical use of my brain, uh, I, I, do, I have found that I do have, a, fortunately, a good ear for commercial hits what works what will resonate with an audience which has really lended well to my work in music supervision um it's i am a classically trained musician myself and and not classic as classic rock classic as in yes i did actually take lessons (laughs) uh, with theory books but i from that experience i sometimes have to be careful because i myself have not written any music that is of, of substance, really, um, in working with songwriters, especially indie artists and things of the like, it, it is difficult for me to um, not understand how people don't have the same ear that I have. Hmm. So where I think, well, obviously we should shift here, or we've just played eight bars and now we need to move to a pre-chorus, then that's not everybody's understanding as well as that's not art that's really technical so where where i i can hear commercial music in that commercial music has such a format to it uh fortunately and unfortunately um i need to be so so careful when working with artists who are not looking to have a commercial hit or not looking for sync friendly music and and recognize that there is there is beauty in that as well I forgot what the question was. I hope you liked my tangent. Oh, no, no, that's, uh, you're going in the right direction for sure. Um, yeah, so I find that interesting because, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've talked with producers. I don't, I just kind of thought it was songwriters, like, be, because, like, you had to act on it creatively, um, but you're doing it in a, in a different way. You're doing the same thing in a different way, right? So that's interesting. I hadn't thought it really thought about that uh, 
that way. Yeah, I think. Yeah, my, I think what's, sorry to interrupt, I think what's okay. really lended to me in a unique way is I've, I've very much approached the music business from the business end, whereas a lot of professionals come in from the music end, and that, that has really dictated where I've been successful and, and less successful in my adventures. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, um, so this is the, this is the, um, the point of the podcast that's trying to help um, indie musicians, uh, songwriters especially, or, or bands creating music to find their way and, you know, be profitable and along the way, not just struggling all the time. So, um, you know, what struck me was when I heard you on Catch the Moon, I guess it was last year, um, you, had, you had come on as a guest um, and um, expert guest, uh, music supervisor. Was you said that you taught, so what do you teach? You teach um, about sync placements or what, what is your course? How do you, is it something that you yeah. came up with that you uh, created? So. That's a good question. So Belmont handed me a class called Music Supervision in Film and TV with really no context. There was a previous professor, and three weeks before the fall semester, they decided to quit. So they were scrambling for someone new. So they said, Kristen, do you want to do this? I was 28 at the time, um, and I had no clue what it meant to be a professor or teach people that were pretty close to my age. And uh, I, I had to build a course from scratch because there was no context that was handed to me other than um, a syllabus and a code of conduct, and I had to go from there. So the course is now has evolved to be all-encompassing. I want to take people on the journey of what it's like to be a music supervisor from start to finish of a product, of a project. So that's reading a script, how to read and look for where music placements live, how to license that music, and then how to make negotiations with always the artist uh, as the, of course, the production as well, but both the artist and the production benefiting from those conversations because even though I may be representing a production company or a TV network or somebody that's creating a visual product, I also do have a big heart for artists having worked in publishing and I just see how compressed the industry is becoming and how small those license fees are becoming as well. And so I really, a good day for me, someone asked me this in a, in a presentation I did yesterday and someone asked me what's a win-win day for me. And it's knowing that I made my boss on a visual project happy, but also knowing that I got the most I possibly could in a paycheck going to the artist, um, use in that spot. So what does my class teach? We are learning the whole process and how to navigate the industry as, as music supervisors. What recommendations do you have? And I've heard you speak about this. But what recommendations would you have for a musician wanting to get into sync? Um, and let's say they're the artist type, more like they're kind of like looking maybe for a label um, is there a way to sh like straddle that that line? Um, I don't expect you to have all the answers, but what, what would your opinion be of that? Um, I always try to have all the answers. Sometimes <laughs> I start talking and then I realize I don't have an end, and that's when I'll tell you I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, 
But for this case, yeah, I do think there are there are two very distinct approaches to creating to creating music as far as the end result goes. And and in the beginning, working your way backward and starting from what do I want to do with my music? That's really the first understanding as an artist I think needs to um, come about. It's do I want to make money through sync licenses or do I want want to expose my art to the world? And they can cross over, but knowing where your goal is is really important when setting out as an artist and seeking representation, whether it's with a label or a publishing company or a think licensing agent or whoever it is you want to represent you. So the reason I, I have that conversation about distinctions with artists early on is if you want to make money in sync licensing, you are saying that you want to create a product that is going to fulfill a need. So in doing so, we need to start thinking about our art a little bit differently. We need to start thinking about creating music that has a hook, that has a message, that can sell a product, that doesn't have um, obtrusive instruments in it, like, for example, harmonicas. They just take up a lot of ear space. I love the harmonica, but scenes with visuals do not because you can't hear the dialogue on top of it, for example. So there are little tricks that change how your, your music will end up if you want it to fulfill your goal of making money with uh, film and TV places, for example. If you want to be an artist and have your music be exposed, be represented by a label, and just live the dream, as one might say, touring and, and whatnot, um, then that has another avenue. And that is you have a lot more creative outlet. You can be yourself. You can make a brand image that is unique. There's no guarantee for money in either avenue, but it's just a little bit different mindset in figuring out what you want your music to do. Is it a product or is it an art? And again, it's not to say that one can't be the other or both. It's just recognizing what your main goal is so you can fulfill that for yourself rather than putting content out into the void and saying, what the heck, no one's listening and I'm not getting sync places. I'm not making any money. What am I doing wrong? Yeah, I think a lot of us are there. <laughs> but, um, yeah. A lot of competition. That's a, that's a big hurdle. Well, I, I forgot to mention that, I mean, I mentioned that you um, had a lot of success uh, as a music supervisor with TV shows, uh, CBS is the talk, uh, award shows, podcasts, and made-for-TV movies. And then, of course, you mentioned publishing. Um, so... When did you know you had arrived? Like you really had like your first placement or first significant placement. Um, and what was that like? What was that? How did you know that you were like, hey, I'm oh, this. that's a nice question. Yeah. So I had worked on films early in your career. You don't get any credit. Everybody else gets your, the credit for your work. That's just how it goes. Fine. That's composing. That's music supervision. That's whatever it is that has a business avenue to it. Um, so early on, I had worked on some films. I knew I had influenced the songs that were showing up places. Um, but I didn't really feel like it was mine because my name wasn't on anything. 
And the first time my name was on something significant, I had my name on some, yeah, podcasts, web web shows, you know, little little things here and there, independent projects that people had done, friends were asking me to work on. But I felt like I had finally arrived when my name was in a movie credit and I got to go to the movie theater and see it. <laughs> that was that was when I, I realized, okay, yeah, I'm really I'm really doing it. And that was probably age oh maybe twenty four, twenty five, something like that. That was my first on screen film credit and that was for a movie that had nine thousand titles and I don't remember the title and what it ended up being in the end, but I can tell you that it was the worst movie that has ever existed by <laughs> box office sales. So I hope that is still true because I love being able to say that my name was on that film. <laughs> <laughs> Could be one of my favorites. <laughs> um, well, it, it didn't help. It's probably, I would be shocked if it were because it is an animated children's film oh, okay. and it came out the same week as Frozen. So that wasn't great for us. (laughs) Yeah, that's an extra kabong, you know. Um, Yeah. Along those lines, how about networking? Um, And then, and then, let me just expand on that. Uh, Like networking in the business. Like, are you still, you know, you know, working with the same people that you came in with, like that you know you rose up with, or you stay in touch with these people? And um, how does that, how do you, how does that connect you with the business? Like, um, do people reach out to you for projects or advice? Probably, right? Uh, So my career has evolved quite a bit over the, call it 12 years that I've been doing what I do in that I was in music supervision and then publishing and then back to music supervision and then I was editing at one point and then I went into teaching. Now I'm mentoring. I also represent art. So I've sort of gone down all these different streets in, in the um, path. And so, yeah, I, one of my first friends when I moved to Los Angeles, I was still in college, but, but had the privilege to work uh, remotely in, in a, too complicated. Anyway, I was in LA, but my university was in Nashville. We'll go with that. And I met somebody else who was doing something similar. He was at Berkeley, but also in LA. And uh, we, he was one of my very first friends and we're still friends today. He and I have both come up in our careers respectively. Uh, He also worked on that film that is the worst by box office sales that's ever existed. (laughs) He was a recording engineer, what I thought I wanted to do. Um, Now he is a multi-Grammy winning, Oscar-nominated, just accolades beyond what anybody could ever think they would have achieved 12 years ago. So so having, having those kinds of relationships is really fun on a personal level, we don't get a lot of opportunity to work together professionally. Um, but whenever there's an opportunity, we can recommend one or the other for, of course, that's always there. <laughs> as far as other, other friendships that I've created and, and genuinely a lot of my work has come from friendships because the industry is just so small, creating those relationships that are, that are based on, do I like spending time with you becomes really helpful and valuable <laughs> in finding work so another one of my 
you know, best friends. He is another music supervisor. He oversees uh, Activision Games. And he, I trained him to do my job when I left the publishing company, Heavy Hitters Music, that I was at. And same thing, we've just been friends. Um, we've, we've suggested jobs for each other over the years. And uh, it's, it's been really nice to be able to work with friends and then build friendships from my work, too. So, yeah, absolutely. I would say all of the people that I've met over the years who I've had opportunities to recommend to work or they've had opportunities for me to work on something, we, we all just pass jobs to each other. And then as far as my artist interactions go and networking in that way, um, same thing, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there is a duo that I represent. They used to live in L.A. Now they live in Chicago, just like me. I used to be in L.A., now I'm in Chicago, and I represent their music for film and TV and find them sync places. We just got them a, a shoe company placement in Germany, um, which is cool. And, uh, yeah, so... I don't know if I'm answering your question, but yeah. really it's oh, just no, that's, yeah. keep good, good. Keeping in touch with people over time and, and, and being top of mind for those opportunities, both with artists and with the business and professionals. Um, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> I, I've kept up with my networking and I have, have enjoyed working with people that I've met over the last 12 years as much as possible. Yeah, that's one of the things I recommend to people is, you know, I play regionally in on the East Coast, and uh, so I'm, I can be in New York or Philadelphia or somewhere in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, you know, the same week. Um, but, you know, what I try and do is I try and bring people in to the show, like other musicians, or get them involved. and um, And it's amazing because then, you know, they start to, you start to get invitations to their uh, shows and, you know, it, it really works out well. Um, so with that said, um, where I'm going with this is there's, I think I've heard you mention there's, um, you had some recommendations for musicians uh, considering uh, like a music library or trying to create personal relationships with music supervisors, like in the sync agent sync world um and um like i've been in touch with um a and r people so i'll reach out every once in a while and you know which is different than you know sync but um it's the same kind of principle i think um and i've heard that some people you know they they'll befriend or get to work with a few different music supervisors in sync and um you know, that will help them sustain, um, you know, a comfortable living or at least, you know, uh, an augmented uh, income potential. So, um, so that, <laughs> so my question for you is, do, what do you think about music library versus um, personal relationships uh, from artists to with um, music supervisors? I mean, from the art, from the artist perspective first. I think that comes with personal preference. I think that takes, there's a great opportunity in the beginning stages. An artist is at the point where they think, okay, yeah, my music, I've got a nice, call it 10 song catalog. I think I'm ready to get out there and 
find some people who want to represent my music um, or who want to place my music. And I think in the beginning stages, try everything. <laughs> Call every single person, take every meeting you can, try and just do as much as you can and figure out what works, what doesn't, what do you enjoy doing, and what do you not. And then from there, it might make sense whether it's to continue making personal relationships, if that works well for somebody, go that way. If that's not a strong suit, um, maybe for more introverted folk who, who are, get really exhausted by having all those new conversations going out to events, then maybe that's not the route. And I think it comes down to the decision of, as an artist, do you want to spend your time or do you want to spend your money forging these relationships in that you could continue to make those personal connections and save some of the cash or you can farm that job out to a, a library or a publisher or a uh, agent or a label or whoever it is that you're trying that who is a best fit for what you're trying to achieve and they'll take a little bit of your earnings but then you have more time to create so it's you know, it, it's what personal preference, whatever makes the most sense for the arts. I think both are perfectly great avenues. Take a look at the best example I have is not very modern anymore, but Macklemore. He held onto all of his ownership and just had a mega hit with that song Thrift Shop and then maybe one or two more after that that I can't name. Um, but he got to keep all of it, all of it. Every single penny that that song made went to his wallet, nobody else's. So... Oh. Did it take a lot of time? Probably. <laughs> but is it possible? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think put all the coals on the fire. and But, but I, I, I also like the idea of people at least trying to, you know, reach out. And um, it's, it's not necessary. Say, for instance, I mean, you don't live in L.A. If I, you know, I don't live in L.A. I'm, I'm closer to New York, but you know, what is it like 80, 70 to 80% of the businesses in um, LA? Could be. California. For sync, just because, sync, just yeah. because yeah. the uh, studios are there, the production studios. So yeah. makes it a little more convenient. <laughs> yeah. So the chances of, you know, going out to a party and meeting somebody is going to be not as, as uh, great as uh, if you live there. So you said you mentor artists for, sync or just music in general or sync uh i'm i'm slowly phasing that piece of my career out right now but for sync um the opportunity again do you want to spend your time or your money these artists have elected to spend their money in that i take a commission when we do get a placement and then they keep the balance and essentially i'm just out there acting as an agent okay yeah it'd be like an agent um so what's your a bit of advice and you kind of, you touched on this before, but let's just say um, a few things that um, you would recommend that people do in order to, you know, dive into this sync, the sync world. What would you recommend for something like that for artists? Mm. Uh, you mentioned about, um, you know, listening, you have to listen like it's, it's a business. Um, so you want to treat it as a business. So you want to do your research, right? Yes, definitely do your research. Um, I think, I think mentioning the business pieces is, is number one. It's, it's a tough 
industry. There is no question there. There's so much competition. There is, there is no one path to make it work. So you have to not only be a musician, but be a songwriter and be a mix engineer and uh, be a social media expert and be a networking expert and find all these resources. It becomes a, it, what used to take 200 people is now expected from one body. So it is not easy at all, and I recognize that. So with that preface, I would say as best you can, the first piece of advice is, again, if you want your music to be placed in film and TV, think about what your end user experience is. So think about what the music supervisor experiences when they receive you, when they receive your music in that, first off, how does your, if you're emailing them for the first time, how does your email look? Are there typos? Is there a clean link where I can not only listen to, but also download your music? When I download that music, does it have metadata in it? Does it list the genre, the lyrics, who owns everything? Who do I contact to use this song? We, I strongly suggest that artists make it as easy as possible for the music supervisor to use your song, if that's what you want, because it is so competitive, you have to make sure you are the, everything is perfect, exactly packaged the way that you want it to arrive. Um, so thinking like a business owner or thinking like a music supervisor receiving your music might be my number one piece of advice. Then I would suggest, like we talked about, just thinking about what you want your music to do. And it is not, I know this is a concept for especially generations that are, are used to artists and, and enjoy artists from that have their popularity in the 80s and, and previous eras, it is not selling out to say that you resemble the sound of somebody else in today's day and age. Instead, you are building your brand. You're suggesting to a music supervisor, for example, let's say I'm looking for a, um, I'm looking for a replacement for Billy Ray Cyrus, okay? So I know that I need something that has either a similar lyric or a similar instrumentation, or a similar vocal styling, something about a Billy Ray Cyrus song. I don't know why that's the example that came to my mind. But um, so if I have an artist come to me and says, Kristen, you've got to listen to my music. It's really similar to Billy Ray Cyrus. Well, that triggers something in my mind. Oh, my gosh, I definitely want to listen because I know exactly what I'm looking for, and it sounds like you might fill that void. So finding the right ways to brand yourself that makes sense, again, to that end user is really important too. Who do you sound like? What is your genre? And of course, no artist wants to put themselves in a box. But yeah. saying I don't sound like anybody quickly turns me off because I don't know what to expect and I don't have enough time to play a guessing game. So yeah, that, was, that was hard for me. People ask me and I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. So then I just go like people come up to me after a show or something and they're like, oh, yeah, you remind me of so-and-so, you know, so I'll just, that's how I, that's how I do it. I ask other people pretty much. And that's yeah. an awesome strategy. Ask other people. What does this sound like? Do you like this? Is there anything you didn't like? Ask for feedback. That is 
you gave me an answer to number three. And my <laughs> third piece of advice is now ask for feedback. <laughs> ask for feedback. Absolutely. Because you are going to hear one thing yes. and the audience is going to hear something else. Whether that's a creative audience or a sync audience, they might find intricacies that you didn't even realize existed in your music. Yes. And that might be what people latch on. Just, that's great, actually. Thanks for feeding me that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, well, sometimes people say that you sound like maybe something you don't want to, someone you don't want to sound like. But you know, over time, I just realized that you know those people. You know, I can't. I went to Berkeley College of Music myself, and ah. I, you know, when I came out, I was a jazz snob, so I. I found myself after maybe three or four years out of Berkeley, um, you know, realizing, oh, you know, I really like rock, you know, I think I, I really want to play rock again. And so then I just went whole hog and just got kind of got back into a pop music um, and started writing, you know, that type of music. And um, so, you know, a little further down with this, but um, a little deeper down but like you were saying like you hear yourself you hear the music the way that um you notice it so <clears throat> you know you or you may want to try and sound like somebody or a certain song uh certain style so um like you said you're going to have your own opinion and um you know it's just it's just funny sometimes how people come up with um descriptions of what you're doing uh, for instance, like I'll play a cover and I'll try and match the cover as close as I can to the uh, artist in the performance. I mean, a lot of times, you know, some of this could be like one of my favorite songs and I'll cover it and I really know that song. And uh, people after the show, people will be like, oh, yeah, I really like your interpretation of that song. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> mm, that's not what i wanted to hear <laughs> yeah. yeah well it's you know it's very interesting of you know people what people hear and what you want them to hear but as long as they enjoy it you know that's that's the main point right um yeah so um so we talked a little bit about the business um so you mentioned social media so i was going to ask you um let's say and i said i didn't want it to be all about sync but i'm trying to present sync as you know one of the uh, mechanisms to you know help you make your indie music journey so with that regard like when you're picking music maybe you've done this like because i've heard like for major motion pictures like they'll want an artist who has some kind of following or some kind of uh, foothold uh, in a market like a fan base or a big social media presence um are there metrics that go along with, uh, you know, measurements that go along in order to get placed for a major motion picture or does it vary? I mean, it is not like one formula. No, the answer is no, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> for, for films specifically, um, we just want good music. We want it to fit the scene and we have so many parameters already on us timing, instrumentation, lyrical content, making sure there are no curse words, whatever it is, making sure the words fit right with the scene, there's no brands in it, uh, we have budget constraints, we being supervisors. Um, 
budgetary constraints. We have timelines. We don't, we're not going on your Facebook. I promise. We, we don't <laughs> care about how many TikTok followers you have. We have your song and we have our project and that's all we can focus on is finding the right matchup. So really like the musician, like even because this is how I feel, um, for the musician, even if you're trying to, let's say you want to shop a label at some point, you're trying to build up to this. Um, you should go with your heart, like your, you know, how, what you're feel, you're feeling like it's gotta be a good song. Right. I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, yeah. Because if you don't have the song, you can have, see in the, the, um, like the local markets, like uh, talking to like uh, music scene, like venues, a lot of times you will see, I'm like probably going to catch a lot of flack for this, but a lot of times <laughs> you'll see, I mean, I've seen bands that have like maybe one good musician in the band, but they bring in a ton of people and, and it's not always great music. Like musicians, like we all, mm. we all talk about this and we're like scratching our heads. Like how, how do they get this booking like every Friday and Saturday, you know, because it pays good. And they bring tons of people in. And you're like, what are these people? Like, you can't like it, you know, sometimes. Not all the time. But um, it's not jealousy. It's, it's like real musician, musician's ears hearing this stuff. Yeah. So, um, yep. you know, so, I, you know, in that case, I mean, in the venue, some, most of the time it's about having a good time. So a lot of people are out with their friends. So I'm just trying to apply that same theory to um, trying to uh, develop your, yourself as an artist. You really have to go with the music side and, and uh, you know, there's gimmicks entertainment. I was talking with another musician about that recently, um, which we're, we don't really want to get into here, but yeah, so that's, that's really good. That's good to hear that, you know, you, you know, people are like yourself, music supervisors and probably labels are, you know, they're still listening for good music, maybe number one. Um, and yeah. maybe I'm, maybe I was thinking about the labels. I think the labels look for a good, they want to sell, records so that's a little different but they're still looking for the yeah. good music yeah well i want to thank you for coming out and uh doing a session with me um do you have anything that you want to um share with us that you know in form of promos or anything not really no i don't i'm here for pure entertainment so uh <laughs> hopefully that's that's what it was maybe a little bit value for your listeners and for you and, and yes, definitely. really thank you for inviting me. And, um, I always enjoy doing, having these kind of conversations. So, um, yeah, ha happy to help. All right. Thanks. Hope to see you again. Take care, Pat. Yes, okay. absolutely. Anytime. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Special thanks to Kristen Summers for doing this interview. For more information about Pat Foran, you can look up Pat Foran Music on the web or go to patforanmusic.com. You can find me on Instagram, pat.foran, and also on Facebook. Thanks for listening to Get Labeled Indie Music Roadmap with Pat Foran.